So, it's summer. My house is full of stuff, and I'm getting more time to be around all the stuff, and so I decided we've got to clean some of this out. So part of it is books. My husband and I will admit right now we have a book problem. We are bibliophiles. We just we make all these rules about you have to have one book out when one book comes in and it doesn't work. I even have a Kindle and he does too. So they were just piling up and I finally decided, okay, let's do it. So we start getting rid of these books and as we do it, my we moved into my in-law's house so that was all their books too. I think this is genetically where we got this problem. Um, <laughs> So as I'm taking all of the books down, I find my, my father-in-law was a very um, quiet man. He was a businessman. He did very well in business, and, but he, he read a lot of poetry, and it was really kind of an interesting part of him because he didn't quote it or anything. He just read a lot of poetry. I found one of his books, and you know how this goes when you're trying to get rid of books. Like I have to open it, right? I can't just put it in the box. So I opened it, and I got to this poem that I think you'll recognize, at least I think most people had to have this in high school. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. Do you remember that one? Robert Frost, the road not taken. And as I've aged, these roads not taken seem to gain mythic proportions in my head, like what, what could have happened differently, filling me with kind of a longing or a regret from past decisions, missteps, mistakes, things I wish had gone differently. Um, so psychologist Amy Somerville, she has run something called the Regret Lab. Did you know they had such a thing, a Regret Lab, where they're studying regret under a microscope, I guess, at Miami University in Ohio. And she says that regret is the most common negative emotion that we experience in our lives as human, that this is worldwide, this isn't just American, this is in every culture, this feeling of regret is very human. She describes regret in two parts, though, in an unpleasant feeling and a counterfactual thought based on the pattern that says, I could have done something differently, and that would have produced a better outcome. So according to the research in her regret lab, the four biggest regrets that we all have in life are about education, career, romance, and parenting. So here are some of the regrets that Dr. Somerville has recorded which means there's a 1-800 number if you want to call it and record your regrets on there. You can do that. If they're not on this list, add them. So the first one was, I regret not taking the lead in a school play in high school because my friends told me I wasn't good enough. I regret not seeing an estranged, my estranged father before he died because I just didn't know what to say. I regret saying something dumb in that job interview. I regret not saying something that I should have. I regret accepting that job. I regret not accepting that job. I regret not going to grad school and backpacking in Europe instead. I regret backpacking in Europe and not going to graduate school. I regret having the affair. I regret getting drunk last night or on that night or on all of those nights or days. I regret mistreating someone earlier in my life. That's one of the most common regrets. You might be regretting coming to church this morning and having me bring up all of your regrets <laughs> while you're sitting here. Well, regret is a form of judgment, an imagined alternative where we negatively judge the outcome. 
You remember that movie, Sliding Doors? I don't know if you remember that. It was a while ago, probably in the 90s. Sliding Doors with Gwyneth Paltrow long before she was the guru of health and had Apple and all of that. But she misses a train. And so they show us the version parallel with her missing the train and making the train. Like, how did those two things turn out and how did they turn out differently? This, this idea of decision making, which is, I, I think it's fascinating because this is really what all of us want. We want to see the outcome before we decide, right? We want to see what's going to happen before we commit, before we believe, before we trust. We hold ourselves accountable for something that is totally outside of our control. We're just one little cog in this gigantic system in the cosmos. But we want to know how we can do that. We are judge and jury in the courtroom of the road not taken. So regret can also be about wanting to be our old self, our younger self, a self without this hardship or this sadness or this pain or this history. Um, you know, we have a, a, a nonprofit that is connected to our church called Mockingbird, and they have wonderful posts on there if you ever want to hear how the gospel that we preach connects with your daily life. There's a post on there this week by Abigail Broher, and she shares that she was watching Pinterest, and she was seeing a lot of quotes that said, the you before kids is still there. And her retort to that is, I'm sorry, Instagram, but no, she's not. <laughs> or if she is, she's dormant. She's been starved. She's not there. So Abigail goes on to question us about this. Have you ever asked yourself, is the me before the trauma really still there? Is the me before that career change really still there? Is the me before this loss really still there or that change or whatever happened to us? She says, I've wrestled with this. I've let it be the knitting hook that wove knot after knot in my stomach. So who hasn't felt this way? Asked these questions in her own heads. Felt that knitting needle knotting in our stomach of this regret. How did I let myself slip away into this me that I don't recognize? Where did I go wrong? So in our Luke and Gospel today, Jesus says, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So I don't know how to plow. I actually looked it up, of course, on YouTube to see if, you know, if I could pull that into the sermon. But there's a lot about strength and endurance. And I thought, okay, I, I can't do that. But I think I get the gist of what Jesus is getting at here. It's not about the plow. It's about the looking back. When you're doing anything and looking back, you're not where your feet are. We're always prepared for the past, right? Seeing what we did wrong there, vowing not to do it again, making sure we're you know, going to be prepared this time when it happens. The if-onlys and the coulda, woulda, shouldas haunt us. So we look back for some way of redeeming our path ourselves. This is the law at its most enticing and persuasive. Surely, we can fix those rows that we've plowed too shallowly, or too deeply, or too intemperately, while our current rows become tomorrow's regrets. So my swirling regrets these days seem to be about my mother. For most of my life, I had a grudge against her for things done and things left undone. 
She gave my, my brothers more, more time, more money. She went back to college when I was in middle school and started smoking and not showing up for dinner. She was eccentric and off-putting and sometimes weird with the neighbors and it made me feel embarrassed. So my mother's name was Rose and she died the year before the pandemic. And when we were in the hospital in the last days of her life, I looked at her chart and learned something I had not known my entire life with her. I learned that she had a very serious mental illness that was untreated until that moment. And she had had it all of her adult life, coping as best she could with five children and life as a very talented but unconventional artist. I was 60 years old when I learned this about her. It's our own family's version of Stranger Things. And I regret the times that I was harsh or judgmental, unforgiving, knowing now that she was suffering with lots of mental anguish. So I cannot fix these plowed rows of my life because I can't let go of the plow. Jesus is the only place I can go with this one. He knew her, he knows me, and he has always known our stranger things, always been in the middle of them, whether I can see it or not at this time. More will be revealed, just as more was revealed then to me. So back to Abigail and her you before kids, you before that thing happened. She writes, it's the idea that over the course of our lives, the miracle of grace pushes the needle more often in the direction of wisdom and maturity. It's the idea that God does not leave us where we are, that the accumulated sedimentary deposits of time have been molded and shaped into something new. Leaving an old self behind is not something to regret because something, sometimes letting the old things die is precisely how we move toward what we need to become. So I firmly believe that Jesus sowed seeds of forgiveness and redemption into that soil between my mother and I. And I, I haven't seen all of it yet. It's timed for some future moment of redemption, maybe with my daughters, my granddaughters, possibly great-granddaughters. God's timing is not my timing. God's view is not my view. God's view of the field of my life and your life is from a cosmic loving place. It's a view from the cross of one-way love for me, my mother, you, your regrets. Christ has no regrets for what he's done for you and will absorb your regrets into himself. It has always been his hand on the plow. We're just kidding ourselves. We have no plow. When you look back from the plow, you realize you have plowed nothing that God is the only one who is plowing anything in your life. So I'll leave you with this prayer from Amy Carroll. Lord, we come to you needing release from regrets. Instead of wallowing in despair, help us trust in your powerful ongoing work. Instead of agonizing over our imperfections, help us look to you for perfecting in all things. Help us turn our regrets over to you, our Redeemer, and Jesus Christ. Amen.